and it's great to be able to open up God's Word with you all. Um, Before we start, uh, there are three things that would be useful for today uh, in order of increasing necessity. Uh, There is first, uh, in the handout you've been given at the start, there's a brief outline, and some of you might find that useful for just giving you an idea of where we're going, and it gives you plenty of space to write notes if that is the sort of thing that you do. Uh, More necessary than that, it would be great if you had your Bibles open to page uh, 1007, uh, and be looking at those verses, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. But the essential thing that we need before we start is humble hearts ready to hear God's word and to let our lives be changed by it. And that's only going to happen by prayer. So let me pray before we start. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have uh, spoken to us and you have spoken to us clearly. Uh, Lord, we pray that as I teach this word that we be seeing what message you have for us. Lord, I pray that you'll be uh, softening our hearts ready to accept what you have to say to us and to change our lives in the coming weeks and months. We ask these things in your name. Amen. For those of us who were here last week, you would have seen something remarkable. Jesus, who was dead, is now alive again. And more than that, it's happened just as he said. He had told the disciples that as well as the religious teachers, that he would die, and then three days later, he would rise again. And amazingly, that's exactly what happened. And so, that bit at the end of the last week's passage, where the disciples are running to the mountain in Galilee, we are running along with them, just waiting for what must be the final scene in this story. After all, the last few chapters we've seen in Matthew have all the hallmarks of the classic Hollywood movie plotline. The hero has found himself in what seems to be an inescapable situation, but he has come through victorious. And now what are we expecting? Well, it will be the jubilant meeting of friends and a final celebration before we leave the theatre, go out and get on with our lives. Except the passage we're looking at today doesn't quite feel like that it doesn't have that feel of finality. It just doesn't, doesn't have that sense to it. You see, there's a couple of events that we know happened at the end of Jesus' ministry that Matthew just decides to leave out. For a start, we know that uh, Jesus appeared to his disciples several times more. It wasn't just here. Um, but Matthew decides not to mention that. Also, Matthew decides not to talk about Jesus' final act on earth, his ascension into heaven uh, and his uh, going back to the Father. What we do have instead, though, is a very brief set of instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples and then a full stop. And after following Matthew's account of Jesus' ministry for some 28 chapters, we just can't help wonder... Well, what's he actually trying to achieve with this ending? Well, in these few short verses, he's going to show us that the resurrection is more than just a happy ending to this story. It's a new beginning. 
and it will greatly impact how we view Jesus, the world, and how we live our lives. And in particular, we're going to see three things coming out of this passage. One is that we have a new authority. The next, that we have a new mission. And finally, that we have a new comfort. So first of all, there is a new authority. And so as we look down, we see the disciples arriving at the the mountain to see Jesus. I just want to point out that the manner in which they respond to Jesus is quite shocking. Just have a look at verse 17 again. And when they saw him, that's Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now it's just worth keeping in mind who these people were. The disciples of Jesus at that time were almost entirely Jewish. They would have been brought up with, uh, with fully aware and believing in that great Jewish statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. They knew not to share their devotion with anyone other than the Lord their God. And yet as they come to this mountain, we see them bowing down in front of Jesus and worshipping him. It's a truly astonishing thing for them to be doing. And in that context, it's not really that surprising that some doubted. It wasn't so much that they were doubting that it really was Jesus in front of them. But as they look around and see some of the other people worshipping, they must have thought, "Is is this the right thing to be doing? Is it really right to be falling down in worship in front of this Jesus? Well, for those who were worried, Jesus offers this assurance in verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now these are fairly familiar verses, fairly familiar words, and actually resonate well with what we saw in our Old Testament passage, which is on the screens now which was on the screens now. Thank you. (coughs) In that it said this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all people, nation, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see in this passage, you're talking about this figure called the Son of Man, who comes towards the Ancient of Days, which is an Old Testament way of describing God, and being given power and rule over all the earth for all time. This is a figure of huge authority. And it's not, it's not an unfamiliar figure to us because it's someone that Jesus has associated himself with at many points during his ministry, during, during Matthew. In fact, Son of Man is probably the most common phrase that he uses to describe himself. But yet, whenever we hear him describing himself as the Son of Man, we end up with something that looks very different to this description of the Son of Man in Daniel. 
Let me just take one example. This is from Matthew 20, verses 18 and 19. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and, mock him, uh, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, and flogged, and crucified. And then he will be raised on the third day. See, Jesus' ministry surprises us about the life of the Son of Man. We are expecting this hugely authoritative figure, but for a time, it would look, he would look not like that, but rather one who is humiliated, mocked, flogged, and killed. So over the last uh, 28 chapters in Matthew, you might have ended up with this question in your mind. Would the Son of Man ever take up that position that's predicted in that Old Testament passage of Daniel 7? And yet now, so that's the question in our mind. And now we come to this passage we're looking at. And after the resurrection, Jesus is standing in front of his disciples and saying now, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. The surprise of Jesus' ministry is the path to becoming the Son of Man described in Daniel is not going to be, was not going to be easy. Before Jesus could approach his father, before he could approach the Ancient of Days, he first of all needed to go through the cross. It was by this path, by dying for sinners like you and me, that he stood before the Father and was exalted highly as the Son of Man. So we can see what's being said here. The resurrection that we heard about last week is much more than just a happy twist on what otherwise would have been a sad and unjust end to Jesus' ministry. It's much more than that. It is the public sign that the Son of Man's plan has succeeded. And more than that, that the Ancient of Days has indeed given him authority over all people and over all the earth. Friends, the resurrection means that Jesus is king. And everyone, everywhere, is under a new authority of that King Jesus. And if that's the case, then the disciples who came to the mountain and fell in front of Jesus in worship were entirely correct to do so. But actually, when you consider that, it needs to be much more than just these disciples. It shouldn't just be them. Jesus is the king of the whole earth. And as a result, the whole earth should be joining these disciples in bowing down in worship in front of King Jesus. And so, friends, in response to the new authority that is shown to us by the resurrection, we now have a new mission. Have a look with me in verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. The mission is quite clear here. Go and make disciples. Jesus tells his disciples that in response to their worship 
and recognizing Jesus for who he is, they are to go out and they are to make disciples of other people. So they, in turn, will recognize who Jesus is and they will worship him. And these new disciples will go out and they will make new disciples who will recognize who Jesus is and worship him. And so on, and so on, and so on, until the whole earth, till all nations are worshipping King Jesus. So the message is clear for us. If you are someone here who is a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who recognized Jesus as a Lord of all, then your mission in response to recognizing that authority is this. Go and make disciples. But the question might be, okay, fine, make disciples, but how is that done? Well, in verse 19 and 20, Jesus tells us of two things that are required. First of all, we come in verse 19 and we're told to make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this baptism is similar to the one that we've seen right back at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel, the one that was performed by John the Baptist. And in this baptism, it's... um, It's described as for repentance. It was a symbol of starting again with God. The idea was that you recognized that you weren't living in a right way with God. And so when you were baptized, when you went through that baptism, you recognized that as acknowledging that you weren't living in that right way and starting over. Resolve to live for God in the future. And so in baptism, you turn away from your old way of life, the one that's self-centered, living for you. And you turn and resolve to live with God at the center of your life and live for him. And And in the same way, the baptism described here is to turn away from that living for yourself and acknowledge that God should rightfully be placed at the center of your life. But actually here, Jesus points us to a fuller picture of that baptism. Because he just doesn't tell us to be baptized. He tells us the name in which we are baptized into. The allegiance to whom we pledge. And we see that there. It is to the whole Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We are recognizing the rule that we are under. By God's grace... We can recognize that our baptism no longer is just resolving that I'm going to turn around and I'm going to work hard to live more for God in the future. Instead, under Jesus' baptism in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we see ourselves under the rule of a Father who chooses us, a Son who died to save us, and the Holy Spirit who works to sanctify us, to make us more in the image of Christ. And so, with that knowledge, knowing that, we can fully trust him to save us, and more than that, to keep us. And so, from that, if we are living to follow Jesus' command to make disciples, then the first thing we'll be seeking is to encourage our non-Christian friends, those who have not bowed the knee to Jesus Christ as King, to repent and to turn away from their self-centered lives. 
We're begging them and urging them to place their trust in Jesus Christ as the one who died to take their punishment for their rebellion against God. We'll be urging them to submit to the loving rule of God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. That's the first thing we'll be doing. But that's not all we're going to be doing. You see, the task of making disciples doesn't stop at the point of making a convert. There's a second part to this task of making disciples. And that's described in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, the task of making disciples goes beyond that point of conversion. After all, what we are doing is we're asking them to submit to the authority, the new authority of King Jesus. And so, if they're going to submit to that authority, they're going to have to know what King Jesus commands them. You see, the people of God, right through history and right up to now, have always been ruled by the Word of God. Now, at this point, as soon as I've mentioned teaching, I'm guessing that a few people might have started to switch off a little bit. Okay? What, they might, what you might be thinking here is, ah, right, okay, yep, okay, teaching, right, this is part of the work for the pastors, for Andrew, for Tim, for Brian, uh, and for the small group leaders and the other people who are involved in the pastoral leadership in the church. It's not for me, they can do the work themselves. That's what they might say. Well, if that's you here today, I'd like to encourage you not to switch off, but to, right now, could you switch back on again? Okay. Because I want you to remember that we are disciples of Christ. And in this passage, Jesus is commanding his disciples to make more disciples. That's our mission. And so, if part of that is teaching, well then, all of us as disciples are going to be part of that. Now, of course, we're going to be end up doing that in different ways. Some of us will be called to do that work full-time, to be set aside and spend their, entire, their full working day working at proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. Others will be involved in a, a little bit more part-time. They'll be involved in leading cell groups, leading Sunday schools, youth work, teaching, uh, teaching people one-to-one. So not all their day, but they're in some sort of formal role. Now, if you're involved like this, I would like to encourage you to continue. That's a great service that you're giving to the church. And indeed, if you're not serving in, the, in a formal way like this, I really would like to encourage you to strongly think about the, if there are areas of the church that you could get involved in. I'm positive Andrew would be quite happy to speak to you if that was you. But as vital as these formal rules are, they're actually a very small part of the way that all of us, as ordinary members of the church, can be involved in doing the work that Jesus commands here. And let me just offer up a couple of very ordinary examples. I'm going to start off with one that's very close to my heart, and that's cell groups. Okay? These are great opportunities to be encouraged by God's word by studying the Bible. But more than that, 
they're actually really great ways to be serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. By the words that you speak, by the way that you help each other look more closely at God's word, by the way that uh, your, your thoughts about how to apply what you've learnt into your lives the coming weeks and months, you'll be teaching others to observe what Jesus has commanded you. Try and get out of your head the idea that when you go to your cell group, that it's the leader that gives, and the leaders give, 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 and the members are take, 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 take. All of us will be involved in serving one another and helping them to grow in Christ. So, for the people who are sitting here, I would like, who are involved in cell groups, I would like to issue you a bit of a challenge. Okay? Make a commitment to being part of Jesus' mission to make disciples in your small group. Pray that you could do that before you go each week. And as you walk into your cell group, be seeking ways that you can contribute and that you can encourage the other members of your group from uh, what you're looking at. I just want to issue that challenge. I want people who are involved in cell groups to try and take that up. And further to that, obviously, if you're not involved with the cell group, there's a different challenge. Get involved in one. If you're not involved with one, again, I'm sure Andrew, I'm making him a busy band today, will be quite happy to try and think of somewhere that you could fit in, that you could go along to. It's a great way to serve your brothers and sisters by how you speak to another, one another. Okay? So, that's the first example, through your cell groups. Another way that you can be part of this mission, to teach one another, is how you use your speech in the time of fellowship that we have after the meeting today. If you don't know, after the service, there'll be tea and coffee served either outside or over there somewhere. Okay? Again, this is a great time for you to take to serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. So friends, take time. Stick around. Get to know one another. And friends, be looking for ways that you can encourage one another from, what, from the truth of God's word. It might be something you've read recently. It might be something that someone else has encouraged you with during the week. It could even be something that struck you from what you've heard today. But it would be great to see that in that time after the service, people seeking to speak to others and encourage them, one another, whenever they meet up. This, this idea of the mission through teaching one another doesn't involve having a heavily prepared Bible study every time you go to meet someone. But it's from very simply telling others how, what you've learnt and, and how it's challenging you to live your life more and more in the image of Christ. Those are just a couple of suggestions, just a couple of simple ways that you, can be do, that, that you can be looking to teach one another and encourage one another in Christ. But whatever you do, whether speaking to non-Christians or fellow brothers and sisters, keep in mind your new mission. It is to make disciples for Christ wherever you are. And it's just, it is something to keep in mind for all of us. It's not just the professionals involved in this, in this commission. 
Friends, it's something I myself need to, be, need to remind myself. When I leave here, I'll be going back to the UK to be a mathematics teacher in a small city in the southwest of England. But that will not change my role as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And it will not change my role as my mission is to, is to make disciples of those around me. I will be seeking to lead people to the gospel by speaking about King Jesus. And I will still seek to help my brothers and sisters to grow by teaching them and encouraging them with what the Bible says. And the great thing is that I hope that they will be doing the same for me. But as we stand at the edge of this mission, as we realise what Jesus has asked us to do, there might be one last issue that comes in our minds. You see, we can accept that the resurrection shows that Jesus has a new authority. Jesus is Lord of all. And from that, we can see that we have a duty to make him known and worshipped by all people. But we're probably also aware that the task he has set out is not an easy one. In fact, even more so as we've been reading through Matthew's Gospel As we read through the gospel, we recognize that it's probably harder than we even first imagined. You see, back in chapter 10, just as he's about to send his apostles out to spread the message of the kingdom to Israel, Jesus gives his apostles this warning. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they, have been called, if they called the master of the house Bezalbub, how much more will they malign his household? And this warning isn't inconsistent with what Jesus says elsewhere. His consistent warning is that following him and speaking out for him will not be easy. It will attract persecution. And so, as we read these verses at the end of Matthew's Gospel we may begin to feel a little faint. How will we cope? Will I really be able to stand up for Jesus in front of my friends? Friends, these are natural questions. And so it's fitting that Jesus' last words to us in this gospel are words that bring a new comfort. You see, at the beginning of Matthew's gospel... We are told that the birth of Jesus is the fulfilling of a great promise from the Old Testament. Uh, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was great news for God's people. In God's rescue plan for his people, he had not remained distant from him. He had come in person and he had come into their midst. The great teaching of the Bible is that God did come to earth and if you were around in Palestine around the years around uh, 30 AD you could have went and met God face to face through the person of Jesus. But as we stand looking at the mission that Jesus has given, given the church we sort of wish he was still around now. We're all too aware that shortly after giving this meeting, after giving these instructions to his disciples, 
Jesus ascended into heaven and he's no longer here in the body. But if we're tempted to despair, have a look at those last words of verse 20. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Friends, do we see that? The great news is that Emmanuel, God with us, is not just for the people then. It is a promise for all of us disciples in his great disciple-making project. And now, elsewhere in the New Testament, we read of exactly how this happens. And so, from other parts of the New Testament, we know that Christ is still with us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we read in other, in other Gospels that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in each and every Christian. And how, uh, we read of how he works to, sanct- uh, to sanctify us and to give us gifts to help in our task of making disciples as well as to embolden us to proclaim Christ's Gospel. But actually here, in, here at the end of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's emphasis is for us to hear the full flow of what Jesus is saying. Just, just note what we've got here. Okay? Firstly, he has authority over all the earth. There is nothing that lies outside of his authority. Nothing at all. Secondly, he has charged us with his mission. You see, the task of making disciples of all nations and bringing them to a right worship of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one that he is looking to be accomplished. It's, it's not something that Christians have sat around and thought, hmm, this would be a nice thing to do. It's something that the Lord of all wants to see happen. And now we are told that he is going to see to this happening personally. He doesn't wave his hands at us and say, I've done the hard work now. I'm going to take some well-deserved rest. You go out. The job's yours now. As we go out to make disciples of all nations, Jesus' promise is that he will remain Emmanuel, God with us. Now, it's worth just getting one thing right here. This is not a promise that it's going to be easy. I can tell you now, it categorically will not. Persecution will come, if it hasn't done already. Friends will reject us, and for some, even loved ones and family members. Friends, as Christians, we stand on the edge of a battlefield, about to go into hostile territory. But before we go out into that, we are reminded that the Lord of all authority is with us. He is on our side. So we can go out in great courage, and we need not fear. And so, as we close... I hope we can start to see why this reads so strangely as an ending to Matthew's story about Jesus. And it's because it's not really an ending at all. What this is, is a beginning. 
All that we've read in Matthew so far, chapters 1 through to 28, about his ministry, his death, and his resurrection, has proved to us that Jesus is the king with all authority over heaven and earth. And because of that, we now see that our mission is to go out and to make him known to all the earth, to all nations. To bring people to repentance, trust and obedience to the one Lord who is king of all. And yet, we are not left alone. It's not as if our faltering efforts will be the difference between success and failure of this mission. The Lord himself will be with us. We need not fear. Victory is assured. We can take our task with great courage and confidence. And so, just as we finish, we'll just remind ourselves of that great commission that Jesus has issued to us. Jesus has said to us, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we, are, we have seen that he, is, that he died for our sins, died to take our punishment, and was risen again to be shown as the king of all authority. Lord, we pray that we, as we recognize that, that we will see our mission and, see that, uh, and go out in great confidence, knowing that you are with us, helping us in our task of making disciples to worship you. We ask all these names in our great Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.